0: Um, So, we have a scripture reading today, we're going to be back in Romans 11, and um, it was just on my heart this morning. So I pretty much have had the same pastor for the last 22 years, which is my husband. Seriously, I came to a church 2001, 2002, and the first time I met this man, actually, he wasn't even a pastor at that church. He was an interim pastor at a little church in Edgewater, preaching his little heart out, 27-year-old man, and I could not believe it. I just could not believe. And he looked like he was like 17. He's still kind of, he's almost 50 now. He still looks, you know, he's just got that young little Peter Pan face. So I, um, and I just thought, how is it that this young man just, I mean, not to sound blasphemous, but I was like, when the, when the people said, this carpenter from Nazareth, like how does he speak with such authority? You know, it was like, how is this young man just speaking with such authority and just, you know, preaching with such passion, the words of Christ. And um, I didn't know then and there, you know, that that was going to be my husband or that I would be a preacher's wife, which my dad's back there. I got raised by a hippie. Didn't exactly, (laughs) not exactly (laughs) pastor wife material necessarily, but someone who was shown how to love very well by my father and by my mother. So God used that. Anyways, okay, back on track. So all of this to say, um, I have seen this man for 22 years, he became my college and career pastor, he became my family pastor. Um, We came back, he was again my pastor and then we were church planning. guess who my pastor, Pastor Tommy, my husband. Um, So I have seen this man labor so, so, so hard for, even before I met him, he got called into the ministry as like a 22 year old man and now he's approaching 50. And, um, and I thought about his heart to feed God's people. I've never, I've never met another man like him who he, if he, you think about a pastor and his roles, he's a shepherd. He's also a chef. He is preparing a meal for God's people. And I can tell you right now, he will never drive through McDonald's and snatch something up on the way to church for God's people ever. He labors with blood, sweat, and tears to feed you the words, the eternal, the living words of God. And um, it's just on my heart to think. I, I, I pray for him all the time and to encourage the flock of he's the under shepherd to keep praying for your pastor he's been at this for well over 20 years and my hope and prayer is that there are still many more years to come that he has so much that god has allowed him to store up in this treasure house of his heart and his mind to pour out and so much wisdom through all the trials all the things that the enemy has thrown at him and our family I mean, just pray for him because he's got three teenagers and two and a toddler and an approaching teenager and a wife who was raised by hippies. And he's, to, and he's trying to be um, an amazing pastor who feeds God's people well and shepherds them well. And so keep praying for him, that he can do this for many more years to come and that the enemy would not have his way if, it was, if he had his way with Tommy Clayton he would destroy him one way or another because the man has so much that the Lord has shown him and so much that he can pour out. So sorry for taking up the time to do this. It's, you know, even you're the pastor's wife, maybe you get a little special privilege here and there. But I just wanted to encourage, that was on my heart, to just keep praying for your pastor. Um, he loves you so much. I just wish you knew even just a fraction of what he, how he toils to feed you the best possible bread of heaven. I can promise you that as someone that's watched him for over two decades now. So here's what we're eating this morning. It's Romans 11. We're back. Here we go. Romans 11, 11 through 16. Right? Yeah. Okay. So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means? Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you, Gentiles. And as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. Thank you, God bless you
1: I'll pay you later for that. <laughs> oh, thank you, honey. That was very sweet, very kind. Now I'm going to feel bad if I ever go to McDonald's. To <laughs> And what a, what a joy to, to be the pastor here in our ninth year and to have such encouragement, man, to preach God's word. I, I can't think in the last nine years anybody who's ever told me, tone it down or I've been offered, you know, Good, the good kind of feedback and 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 the good kind of constructed criticism that it, that I should always be open to to grow. But I've never felt attacked or oppressed by this church in any way. You guys have been so super kind and gracious, uh, and I feel invigorated, man. And, and hey yeah, by God's grace, let's let's keep going, man. Let's keep going. This is uh, we're still praying for a building. If people have asked for an update, there's no update. We're praying. We're watching. We're we're expecting. We're hoping. Our eyes are wide open uh if you have an ear to the real estate market we got a few people that do and you see or hear of a building we're not we're not wanting to do another step hey let's lease again or rent again for now this suits us well we're looking for a more permanent location that's been one of our big prayers so we're looking to the future to have our own place um but we're thankful that that god's provided this for now and he's given us a great relationship with the leaders of this school and it's opened up doors to all kinds of ministries as you know um so I'm thankful. I'm excited, anticipating uh, many more years of, of fruitful ministry with you guys. So let's pray and let's jump into Romans, okay? Lord, thank you so much for for your word that we've read already. And my prayer is always, your word is the most powerful thing that happens in this place, Lord. It is alive. It's penetrating. It's filled with energy. It's active. It searches and analyzes us, Lord. It's like a a skilled surgeon's knife that cuts deep and lays us open to the eyes of of you with whom we have to do. And it's penetrating, it's searching. it, It reads us and helps us see things about ourselves that we couldn't otherwise see. It's a mirror that we hold up to ourselves. It's a rock, it's a hammer, it's a fire, it's milk. It's all of these things, Lord. It crushes our rebellion and unbelief. It purges and purifies us. It shows us a true picture, an accurate picture, of what's going on in our heart and it offers us comfort and transformation and hope so i pray all of those things would happen today in a, in, a, in a crowd uh this size lord there's too many needs that a human being could identify and could help but your spirit is at work and he is our mighty hope send your spirit today lord to each and every heart may your spirit be within me and upon me and anoint anoint me as i preach the good news from this chapter and even issue the warnings that we find here Do the work which only you can do. We're we're hoping in you, Lord. So I pray, even just reading that scripture, your work would have already begun in in hearts. And as we reach back a little bit to the first section of chapter 11, uh, help the the message I believe you put in my heart to resonate today. May it be true, may it be accurate, may I be faithful to what you've called me to do. And may we all leave here uh, with a challenge and with an encouragement. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. And you're going to have to stick with me up there. I'm going to try it one more time to get my remote to work. I don't know, I think this is just a dead spot here lately for this. That's okay, though. Technology's awesome when it works and when it doesn't. It's kind of like the people in the tech booth. You know, they're awesome when everything works. And then when the microphone breaks or when the slide, everyone turns around and <laughs> shakes their fist. They're everyone's best friend and, and worst enemy. Kind of like an AC guy in July, right? All right, well, in chapter 11, Paul is actually asking and he's answering two questions. Two questions as he thinks about the nation of Israel and he thinks about their future. And these questions would have been on the mind of every single Israelite, Hebrew, Jewish person who heard this letter read at the church at Rome or who read it for themselves. They would be thinking the things that Paul, as a wise teacher and a really gifted pastor and gifted evangelist, he's anticipating. You know, a good teacher anticipates objections from his audience he anticipates now I'm going to say this and in their mind this objection is going to emerge it's going to surface and if I don't deal with it they're going to leave with an objection and think yeah that's what I thought he can't he can't answer that so Paul's a wise teacher and he asks the question that everyone's thinking that's what every good pastor should try to do and here's the questions that he's asking and here's where they come from they come from chapter 8 Paul ended that chapter with an explosion of praise and he says look God's callings, God's election, God's foreknowledge and for and love of His people, it's certain, it's sure. If you belong to God through Christ, you will never be lost. You are a part of the body of Christ. He is the head. You're in His hand, and you're part of His hand. Nobody is greater than the Father. Nobody can snatch you out. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No height, no death. Nothing in all of the creation, visible or invisible, seen or unseen, is going to be able to take you away from God. And all God's people said, amen. And then Paul knew, he knew that an Israelite would be reading that and, and, and conclude and, and use logic and say, okay, let me get this straight. So God calls out a people for himself. Paul says, that's right. And God puts all these promises upon them. Paul says, "Exactly." And they can never be taken away from Christ. They're always going to be blessed. He's going to love them forever. And Paul says, that's it. And they say, well, then what about the nation of Israel? What about them, Paul? How are you going to deal with that objection? Because look, the Jewish Messiah came and by and large, all the nation of Israel, the majority of them have rejected him as their king. And that's a huge problem. It's still a huge problem to this day. To anyone who's looking around reasoning and thinking about these things, you know that Give or take, there's around 16 million Jews in the world today. Did you know that? And the majority of them still reject Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah. They reject him. Their hearts are hardened. Their eyes are blinded. They reject him. And that's a problem because Jesus himself said this. He said, I've came to show you the Father. And he said, no man comes to the Father except what? Through me. So listen, if there's nothing else I say in this message that hits you or that resonates Uh, you that's both a jewish and a gentile message nobody comes to the father except through the son the lord jesus christ that's the only path to get to god there's no other path there may be other pretend paths that say heaven is this way peace is this way but they're going to take you to a a place of danger darkness despair and then death right there's a way that seems or feels right to a man or to a woman but at the end is what It's death. And Jesus came to make that ultimately clear to both the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, no person comes to the Father except through me. I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If you want to be reconciled to God, you want to find a place at his table, there's an on-wrap. Anyone can get in in on this, but you've got to go through me. And the Jews said, no thank you. Away with him, let him be crucified. And so the Israelites, I think mostly the believing Israelites in Rome would have been saying, What about our kinsmen? What about God's promises to them? They're all over the Old Testament. Has God forsaken them? Is he finished? Has God left the building? Is he done with the nation of Israel as an ethnic people group, as a nation? And Paul wants to answer that. The first question he asks is, has God rejected his people? That's in verse 1. And the second question he asks is in verse 11, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And so there's two ways you could clarify that question. The first one is, is this rejection total? Will every last Jew reject Jesus? And the second question was, is this final? Is this the end? Is God done totally with them? And has He turned to the rest of the world and He's forgotten them? And Paul's answer is emphatic. It's one of the strongest ways that you can say no in the language of the New Testament in Greek. It's, it's meganeto. It's no. May it never be. God forbid. Heaven's no. Absolutely not. No way. That's what he says. And then he even uses a word a little bit later in verse eleven, it says, Rather, rather, their rejection has been used by God, their trespass has been used by God to bless and enrich the rest of the world. So Paul is going to turn history into theology. He's going to answer the question and he's going to turn that into something encouraging for us as Gentiles. And in the meantime, he's also going to give us a warning. And he's going to say, Hey, you need to beware, you need to be aware and beware that the same thing that happened to the Jews doesn't happen to you because they brought this on themselves. When you sit under truth, you sit under the gospel, and you grow indifferent and apathetic, and it becomes boring, and you're disengaged, and you get to the point where you can't hear it, not only do you, are you not listening, when you do hear it, you don't like it, and you begin to drift, Paul issues a warning. It's like, you need to watch out lest you grow hardened. So here's what I wanted to do today. I, I had an outline. We were going to go full speed ahead, full throttle, starting in verse 11, and we were going to go all the way through verse 16, but I realized, as I often do when we're going through the book of Romans, uh, so many of you have encouraged me with, man, we're learning so much in Romans, we're growing so much, and I appreciate the fact you're not skipping over verses. I realized that I did do the 15,000 to 20,000 foot view, right? The drone view, uh, the, the, the cruiser view, and I didn't really answer or talk about all the passages. And so I hope you don't mind. We're having communion today. Uh, I told somebody in the sound booth, I said, well, we'll have a shorter sermon today. And they busted out laughing. Nicole, you know who you are. <laughs> and I said, well, why is that funny that we're going to have a shorter lesson? And she said, nothing, it's just funny. <laughs> so uh, my aim today is to is to take a few steps back and maybe cross some T's and dot some I's. Because I think God has something here for us. I've felt the last couple of days my heart just constrained to say, Tommy, we've been here, just the Lord speaking to me uh, on a personal basis and as a pastor saying, Tommy, you've been here for nine years and some of the same people come back over and over. And some of those people, are they're not in the kingdom, uh, but they don't seem to be hostile to Christianity. They're coming and they're listening. And some of those people I've met with, I've interviewed them, I've talked with them. And they're like the person in Mark chapter 8. Do you remember that miracle that Jesus did on a blind man? Uh, he, he, he touched him and he asked him a question. He said, what do you see? You guys remember this? We went through the Gospel of Mark years ago, and he said, I see men like trees walking. That's always been a spooky thing to me. It's like, oh, man, you, you see men like trees, and then Jesus touched him a second time, and he got full clarity. It was the only miracle that Jesus did in that way. It's kind of like a two-step process. Did, was Jesus having an off day? What was going on there? But he's like, oh, let me try that again. Darn it, I was just, this is not my day. I didn't get a full night's rest. No, Jesus was giving like a, it was a parable That was an objective lesson uh, through a miracle. Jesus was saying a lot of people are like this even now. They see, but they don't see. You know, you can't say they're blind. They see men like trees walking. But neither can you you say that they see because they see men like trees. And you're going to walk around talking to trees and bumping into people, right? And so he had to give a second touch. And I feel like, sometimes I feel like that's some of the people in Grace Life are watching from home that they hear the truth, but maybe they're not acting on it. Maybe they're not responding to it. Maybe they're not obeying it and receiving it fully. And so there's, there's some truths here that I wanted us to, to go over. So let's take a step back. Uh, one of the first things I want to say is this. When we think about Israel and the fact that there are 16 million Hebrews, Israelites, Jews alive today, many of them back in their own nation, in their own place. You know, that's always been God's plan A from the very beginning, God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And that went like chaotic within the first few chapters of the Bible. And all of the scripture and all of redemptive history seems to be God working that in a way we didn't expect, but includes us as Gentiles and still bringing God's people Back to God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And even now, to this day, it happened in 1948. Even secular historians who don't believe the gospel or the Bible, they say that's near miraculous. They don't use that word, but they say this is unprecedented. This has never happened to a nation, a country before, ever. They were scattered everywhere. They were trying to get rubbed out. They were attacked. You know, Palestine, the Gaza Strip, uh, the Western banks, all the bombs, the threat, the missiles... All the people that have done everything they can, you think of Hitler, you think of even in the book of Esther, you think of all the different ways Satan and the world has seemed against the Jews, and yet here they are, they're alive, they're a nation, they're back in that little plot of land in Israel in 1948, and secular historians, it blows their mind. Let me say it this way, have you ever met an Amalekite? Anybody in here ever met a Philistine, or a Jebusite, or a Babylonian? No, and... Chances are you never will. They've either been wiped off the face of the earth or scattered and their bloodline mixed where you couldn't find one if you were looking for them. That's amazing that you meet Jews all the time and it's a, man, I, you'll know what I mean by this. It's a pure-blooded, they're 100%. Their identity has been preserved by God in a way that no other people group has. That in and of itself is proof. God's eyes on the sparrow and his eyes been on Israel and they're called multiple times the apple of his eye. Right? The most sensitive part of our eye that we protect the most. That's why we flinch. That's like a, a God-given instinct to a human body. You flinch to protect the most vulnerable part. God calls Israel the apple of his eye. He's always flinched to protect them. And they're alive and they're well and they're there. So that in and of itself is proof in a sense, historically, secularly, if you want to use that term, that God's not given up on them. He has a plan. They're there. It's like they're ripe. That's exciting for me as I think about prophecy and the future and I think about Romans 11. I'm eager, man. I'm, this chapter, the study of this chapter has made me on the edge of my seat. And I hope it has you too. And as I show you probably next week, this is encouraging because when we start to see this massive majority turning by the Jewish nation back to, to Yeshua as their Messiah, man, amazing things are going to start to happen. It's going to be incredible. You know there's... Man, I want to, sorry. I get excited thinking about this. That must so grieve the heart of God to see his people who turned away from him. It must break his heart. And it did. When Jesus, he wept. He wept over Jerusalem. He saw them as sheep scattered. And he came and they rejected him. He says, I've stretched my hands out all day long to a disobedient and hardened nation. And he says, I wanted to. I would have gathered you like, Like a hen does her chicks. I would have hovered over you. But you rejected me. You would not. And now your nation, your your temple, your city is going to be left to you desolate. And God did that. He chastened them. He hardened them. He exiled them. But he brought them back. But it is going to be something to see, man. There's prophecies that talk about when the end comes and when you see this massive outpouring of God's love and his grace that draws them back. It says, that Gentiles will come and they will tug on the robe of a Jew and say, take us to Jerusalem. Take us to the Messiah so that we may worship him. Right now, it's the opposite. There are a lot of Jews that come to Gentiles so that we can evangelize them because they can't find anybody in their nation to tell them about Jesus, right? So it's pretty incredible, and it's moving, man, to think about all these things that we see in Romans 11. So let me back up. And talk about some of the things we didn't, we didn't cover last time. One of the first reasons that Paul gave for God has not rejected his people, may it never be, uh, was a personal reason. Remember we talked about that. Paul's saying, well, the first proof I can give you that, that God has not done with the nation of Israel is me. <laughs> I'm proof. And that's amazing. It may feel wrong for you to say that. But you know, you can say that too, even though you're a Gentile. If somebody says, man, I feel like God's given up on the world. You're like, well, he hasn't. I can tell you that. He's still working on me. He's still a work in me. Doesn't God say that? Doesn't the Bible say that? He who began a good work in you will what? Will think about finishing it later. He's busy. <laughs> There's other things distracting him. No. He who began a good work in you will complete it. And that's happening. If you're in Christ, that's happening right now. God deposited his living Holy Spirit within you. And his Holy Spirit is showing you parts of your life and your heart that he's renovating. And he's doing a work. And you're growing. You're growing into the image uh, of one whom you've been predestined to grow into, Romans 8 talks about. You're becoming more like Christ. And Paul, Paul shares that argument. He says, look, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. And God didn't give up on Israel because he called me. I was a blasphemer. I was a murderer. I was ignorant. I would have been the worst of the worst, and God picked me to encourage all the other people. So if, if God's not finished with me, surely there's hope for you. That was his first argument, was that God's not done with him. His second, so his first argument was personal, and his second argument was historical. And this is just a little bit of review. Uh, for those of you who weren't there, let me read this. This is in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? So now Paul's going to go back into the Old Testament. He's going to use history. First was a personal reason. The second one is a historical reason. And by the way, 1 Kings 19, which is where he's quoting from, that was one of the most intense times of apostasy in the Old Testament. As as a nation, most of Israel had rejected the prophets. They had rejected the priests. Elijah is running for his life he had just had a showdown with the false prophets of Baal he's running from Jezebel and God finds him by himself in the wilderness you remember this and he says Elijah what are you doing here I put my spirit upon you you got mighty things you've got deeds to do why are you running and then he complains and this is what Paul's quoting from verse 3 lord they have killed your prophets they have demolished your altars and I alone am left and they seek my life and I asked you last week, have you ever felt like this? The Elijah complex? I'm the only one faithful. I'm the only one serious about following Jesus. And everyone else is just kind of B team, second string. I'm earnest. You need to be careful thinking that, man. There's God is showing Israel, He's, or excuse me, showing Elijah here, showing through Paul quoting him. Oops. That's good that I didn't reset the clock. That would have been bad for all of us, right? He was showing Elijah what he often shows us. I'm doing work that you don't even know about. You're you're so fixated on yourself. You're so obsessed with you and your tiny little world of trouble that you're forgetting that I've been doing an amazing work all along. If you'll look around, you'll see it. That was one of our points last week. God is at work all around us and within us if you open your eyes to see. And this is what he said to Elijah. Verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men. That, you know, that's not a small number, man. 7,000 people. You thought you were the only one. There were 7,000 others. <laughs> I bet Elijah felt dumb, man. Have you thought about that? He goes, I'm the only one. Do you expect God to say, no, no, there's your sister and your brother. You know, you just haven't been around them in a while. And I called them. It's like, there's 7,000 people, Elijah. What are you talking about? And he says, who have not bowed the knee to Baal which would have been really rare to not be caught up in that idolatrous cult in that day everyone else was. So too, Paul's saying, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And then verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The, The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, here's what I wanted to do today just for the next few minutes. I have an outline, but we're going to really jump into that next week. What I wanted to do, I've already dealt with the personal argument Paul gave himself. God's not done with Israel. I'm an Israelite. The historical argument, God's never been done with Israel. Look at the day of Elijah. And now I wanted to give maybe a theological argument. I didn't get to deal with that last week. And this is kind of a hard passage. And I'll be honest, one of the reasons I want to talk about this, I don't want anybody to think I was ignoring this because it's hard and because this can be offensive to people. You know, we talked about election and God's sovereignty and foreknowledge and a remnant. We talked about that in chapters 9 and 10. And you guys are still here, man. Thank God. Sometimes when preachers talk about predestination and election and God's sovereignty, man, it's unsettling to people. They get bent all out of shape. I've tried to, to teach on these things in a way that I feel is accurate and biblical and faithful and I thought we were done in chapter 9, but we're coming back to it in chapter 11. Paul's going to use it again, but it's, it's good for us to hear this. So he says, just as it was in Elijah's day, it is in the present. There's a remnant. Now what does that mean? What does remnant mean? It means this. It means there is a core. There's a, a core group of people who are faithful to me. You don't always see them, but they're there. They're there by God's grace. They're there by God's preservation, and there's always going to be a remnant. A little bit later, he'll, he'll use the analogy of dough. Has anybody ever given you, honey, is it called friendship dough? Friendship bread, you guys ever had that? We've often said, now don't, don't get bent out of shape because this is funny. I don't know why. We were at a season of our, of our life a while back. Everybody gave us friendship bread. And it was kind of like, here's friendship bread. Now bake it. Hold on to it. And we were like, whoa, we got all these. And, and some people will tell us, you know, this, this batch of yeast can be traced back to, you know, Three hundred thousand years, and we're like, the world's that old? Uh, Anyway, and you have to preserve it, and it and it's like there's this little core, this this core yeast has been around for so long, and if you use it, you can grow bread from. I don't I don't know. I don't really know that much about bread. It, It is fascinating to think about, but it's the same idea. God's got this core, this remnant that He's preserved. This His elect, His chosen people, and and it's because of that and because of His grace that they've been chosen. In other words. The argument he's making is don't misunderstand that just because somebody is an Israelite and they're Jewish and they have Hebrew DNA in them. That doesn't automatically mean that they're a recipient of the promise. That goes all the way back to chapter 9. You remember he said they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Not all the descendants of Abraham believe the promise. And he gave us examples. I don't need to revisit all that. But here's just a quick reminder. Abraham Uh, had two sons Isaac and Ishmael one of them was a son of promise which one Isaac and Ishmael wasn't and Isaac had two sons Jacob and Esau one of them and they were twins so the arguments even strengthened one of them believed the promise of God and the other one rejected it Jacob have I loved Esau have I hated remember that was Paul arguing look there's always been a chosen remnant there's always been an elect all these people were Israelites but not all of them believed the promises and it's by grace that's that's really a powerful argument we all need to remember because here's what happens guys and this is where I want to really want to apply this it's really easy for religious people to become allergic to grace That's outrageously offensive when you think about it, that God doesn't need your help rescuing you. You've made quite the mess already, okay? He doesn't need your help. He doesn't want your help. And when you start offering your help, I'll pull myself up, as my buddy Jeff used to say, uh, sola bootstrapsia, you know? I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do this. I think I can. I think I can. God says, look, there's not gonna be any of that in my, nobody's gonna strut in my kingdom. You don't strut to get in, and you don't strut when you're in, it's a humbling thing to know that you're so sinful, God had to send his son to die for you. But you're so loved, he was glad to do it. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of grace. It's so easy for us to miss the gospel because of our religion. And because we're hard-working, noble, decent people, for crying out loud, we help old ladies across the street. We show up and punch in on time at work. And, you know, dadgummit, look at my life. I'm, I'm so commendable. God's so lucky to have people like me. We start to think that way. That's that's repulsive to the gospel of grace. In other words, the only reason that there's a remnant around today is not because there's always been a noble, decent, good, hardworking group of people. That's not it at all. God has often chosen the worst. But, but here is, the, is the, the nugget of truth and the warning uh, that comes from that. And I want to read that. That's what, I wanted to, that's what I really wanted to talk about for the next few minutes. And let's look at verse... 7 he says what then Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking and what was Israel seeking favor with God reconciliation righteousness they failed to obtain what they were seeking why because they were seeking it earnestly they wanted righteousness they wanted to be right with God but they were seeking it by works and grace and works don't mix they don't mix it's not oil and water wouldn't quite do it it would be more like ammonia and bleach deadly. They, they can't mix ever. And when you do, really bad things are going to happen. You're either going to be uh, blinded or hardened or really proud, and you're going to do great damage to the message of the gospel, right? Grace and works don't mix. But verse 8, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So here's the hard part, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? And this is the warning to us. Be very careful, And especially I'm talking to those of you who came here for a long time and you see but you don't see. You hear and you think, well, that was, a, that was an okay sermon. That was a, you, you swish it around like maybe wine in your palate say yeah that's good that's a 1978 vintage yeah we'll see what next week is it's when you hear truth and you sit under whether it's preaching or reading your bible or some other preacher or a bible study you go to or a community group or a discipleship group where somebody's sharing scripture with you it's really important that you respond to the truth that you're hearing always and that you don't grow indifferent or apathetic and you say why is that here's the example right here Here's this nation that sat under Torah and, and heard prophets and heard priests and they celebrated all these feasts and all these festivals and yet they rejected Jesus when he came. And you know what God did? This is, the, this is one of the worst judgments that can happen and it's so subtle. and That's why I want us to be aware of it. He hardened them. He gave them what they asked for. That's what retribution means. It means a punishment or a chastening, a discipline that fits the crime. God says, you're going you're to be hardened toward me? Well, then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to allow your heart to be hardened. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. In other words, you want to be different and apathetic and start drifting? Then have it your way. Your will be done on earth as it is on earth, right? I'm going to let you go ahead and drift. I'm going to let your heart grow hard. You don't want to see the truth? Then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to turn the lights out. We read about that in Romans 1. He gave them over. That word paradidomy, it means to give somebody over, completely deliver them to what their hearts were after. And that that scares me as a pastor. It especially concerns me for people who hear the gospel over and over and over, and it becomes something like I don't know, entertainment's not the right word. But they just grow indifferent to it. Man, I pray, my prayer has always been for this church. And for every person sitting under the gospel, that they would act on it. So let me just ask you, Grace Life, have you ever responded to the gospel? We know the gospel is a message. It's, it's God came in the, in the person of Jesus. He sent his best, Jesus Christ, to do what you could not do and you would not do. God sent Jesus to take the penalty for your sins, to live the life that you could not live and you would not live, to do it on behalf of you, for you, because you couldn't do it for yourself. And he's offering his life, his perfect record, in exchange for your soiled and tarnished record. He's offering that to you. He's giving you an on-ramp. Anybody can get in on this. Have you responded to that? Have you repented? The gospel's a message, and the only appropriate response to the gospel is you to repent and turn and believe it. Have you turned from your sin? Have you received Christ? Have you repented? Have you believed? Have you trusted? Have you gotten in that wheelbarrow that we talked about? You remember? Faith is like the illustration of Charles Blondin, the guy that walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He did it hundreds of times, and the crowd roared. And he did it blindfolded, and the crowd went crazy. And he came back, and he said, hey, do you think I can put a person in this wheelbarrow? And they said, yes. And he said, do you think I can push them across and back? And they said, yes. And he said, well, then who's going to get in? That's, that's a response. Oh, I believe, I believe. Well, the demons believe too, James says, and they tremble. Sometimes they're one up on us. The demons believe in the gospel. You know that? They hate it, but they know it's true. The gospel's a message. They know the message is true. You remember they said, Jesus we know and Paul we know. Who are you? They knew all about Jesus. They hated him. They were repulsed by him, but they knew he was God's son. They knew the mission that he was on. They did everything they could to prevent it. But they believe all all those things. So believing is one thing, but trusting is something completely beyond that. It's the next step. Have you taken that next step? I don't get to do this enough as your pastor. I want to do it more. I want to be a faithful evangelist. I'm pleading with you. Grace Life Church and guests and friends, maybe this is the first time you've ever came to the church, and I want to tell you right now, God has a future for you. It's so amazing. It would kill you. It's so incredible if you could see it now. But you've got to receive Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. You don't receive just one, you receive both. You don't make Jesus, you don't receive Him as Savior now and make Him Lord later. He already is Lord and that's the way you come to Him as one whole person, Savior and Lord. Have you done that? Are you still just processing? You may be processing. Here's what we do as Westerners and as Americans, and I can be so bold to say it. We think, you know what, this is good. This is good to hear this. I'm going to give that some thought. I'm going to think about this and I'll come back to it. Have you ever done that? I, I did that. I did that all the time as a kid and even as a young adult. And it wasn't until I was 22 that God completely broke me. Uh, and let me stop there. I'll, I'll come back to that. But man, here's the good news. You know, how many times have you guys heard the gospel and rejected it before you became a Christian? Aren't you glad that God gave you multiple opportunities? Aren't you? I've heard the gospel probably before I got saved. I heard the gospel hundreds of times. Maybe thousands of times because my parents were so faithful. I'm so thankful for them to bring me to a good gospel preaching church. I just wasn't interested, man. I was there for the girls. I was there to catch up on my sleep. I was. That's all I was there. To read the hymnal, I didn't care about what was being said. God was so faithful to pursue me. Here was was what I was going to say earlier. What happens is we say, oh, I've got this. I'll come back to it. And my warning to you is, you don't know that. You don't know that at all. Your heart may, even now, even now, this dynamic that Paul's talking about could be happening to you and you don't even know it. There's scar tissue, my friends, on your spiritual perceptors. There's nerve endings that are getting cauthorized. You don't even know that you're, you're growing harder and more resistant to the truth. The dimmer switch is going on. My wife and I were talking about this the other day. Both of us, now that we're, I'm closer to 50 than she is. And even back there, I'll be honest with you, I, I just a few minutes before I preach, I go back there and look over my notes and I always use Arial 11 font. And I, Guys, I'm going to have to up it to 12. Seriously, I'm starting to squint. I can't see. It didn't happen one Sunday. It happened like 50 Sundays. You know that? That's what happens to us spiritually. You think you see clearly, you're in control. I've got this. My emo- I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm in charge of my emotions. You better be careful thinking that way. Because God can be turning the dimmer switch on right now and there may may come a time in the very uh, not so distant future where you say, you know what? I don't even know if I believe any of this anymore. I don't even want to come anymore. And it's all because you didn't respond to the truth that you heard. That is critical. That is so important. Have you responded to the truth that you've heard? The Bible says to him who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. God gives you a little bit of truth. You don't respond to it that may be it, man. You may be cut off. And you say, I don't, I don't like that. Well, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to be the chef, like my wife said. That's what the Bible teaches. It's so gracious of God to warn us in that way, right? But here's the good news, friends. You're here today. You came today. You're sitting under the sound of teaching. There's a million other people that can preach it better than I could. But hopefully it's clear enough, right, for the average person. God loves you. You're not dead, so there's still hope. He sent you the good word of the gospel. He put you in a place where you have a ready, available copy of God's word. How many English translations of the Bible that we have? Some better than others. God was so good to give us that as English-speaking Gentiles was, and he didn't have to. So that was what I really wanted to to circle back around and tell you. I didn't want to leave that passage off. That's a warning. Uh, They can't see anymore. They've been given a spirit of, of stupor. Let me read it one more time. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Why? That's what they wanted. They wanted to be hardened. They wanted to be disengaged. They wanted to drift and be apathetic. And they didn't want to see what he showed them. So now they can't see. Eyes that would not see. Ears that would not hear. Down to this very day. Paul said still to this day there's a veil over Israel. When, when the Torah is read in the synagogue there's a veil. They don't see that it's pointing to Christ. They rejected it so long that this veil just dropped over them lest their table become a snare and a trap. That's from Psalm 69. A lot of people think that this table, if you were a Jew, a table was a place of feasting and celebration and nourishment and privilege, especially just the customs of Israel. They would lay down beside the table. They would chill out. They'd put their phones away. <laughs> right? And they would just be together and be connected. And that was the best part of, of, of a Jewish culture was, was feasting. And a lot of people believe that table is talking about the Torah, the law. And Paul is saying, you know what? Even your table, even this privilege, this gift of self-revelation that Yahweh, Jehovah gave to you, it's become a snare. You don't even know what it means anymore. Man, I would never want that to happen to this church. Well, here's the good news, and here's our outline. We're we're almost finished. Here's our outline for next week. Can you put that up? Yeah, there we go. So Israel is going to return, my friends. Isn't that good news? God says he's not finished. He gives us, Paul gives us a personal argument. He gives us a historical argument. He gives us a theological argument. Why things are the way they are. There's a remnant. It's according to grace, not to works. God has given them a judicial hardening. He's given them retribution, poetic justice. But then Paul says it's not always going to be this way. Israel is actually going to return to God. And they're going to return in three stages. And that's what verses 11 through 16 talk about. And here's stage one. Stage one is trespass. Can you put that other picture up? There's one with emojis on it. Here we go. So here's here's Israel's restoration and resurrection, and it's going to come in three stages. The first one is trespass. Okay? What's that all about? Every city that Paul and his associates and the other apostles went to throughout the book of Acts... Here's what would happen. We talked about it just briefly last week. They would go into a city. They would go to the synagogue just like Jesus told them. They would preach the gospel. Most of the Jews would reject it with rare and encouraging exceptions. A few Jews would. And they would shake the dust off their sandals. And where would they go? To the Gentiles. Guys, that's huge. Had that not happened, you and I would not be sitting here. Imagine this. And I'm going to close with this and we'll, we'll come back to it next week. Had every single Jewish city throughout the book of Acts and every synagogue embraced wholeheartedly the apostles' message about Yeshua, Jesus, being their Messiah, they would have never gone to the Gentiles. Do you realize that? Do you realize what that means for us? This, this gospel thing would have just been a Jewish thing. It would have been a Jewish ethnic renewal. And no reason, there would have been no impetus for any of the apostles to, to reach out to a Gentile city. And listen, none of us would be here. Who knows what we would believe today? Who knows what pagan barbaric practice religiously we would have? Maybe we would still believe in, in Zeus or, you know, the pantheon of Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. I don't know. Thank God we're here with an open Bible and we're worshiping Jesus. Right? We owe that to God's radical uh, providence, that, that His intervention. God had a plan, and even through Israel's trespass, something good came out of that. And man, that should be good news for you as we close. Because hard things happen. People you care about initially seem to reject the gospel, and your heart is broken over. And you think, Lord, why? How could anything good possibly come out of this? Uh, here's, Here's exhibit A. Plenty of good things. Richness, he uses the word riches several times here. Riches came out of their trespass trespass means a step in the wrong direction. So God wanted to use the nation of Israel to bless all the nations. He wanted them to be this channel. And they said, nope, I'm not going to be that channel. I don't even believe it myself. So they stepped out of the way. That's what trespass means. And so God had, it's not God had a plan B. This was always plan A. Uh, God used somebody else to be a door. And we're going to talk about all that means for us next week. And I hope it's going to be encouraging. Um, before, as we transition into communion, let me say this. Hard things, bad things, evil things, God has always used to accomplish amazing things. Hasn't He? Do you know what the greatest proof of that is? Do you know why it, uh, whatever your suffering may mean, we can't always interpret that and it's dangerous to try? But I can tell you what your suffering doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God has stopped loving you. How do we know that? Because the greatest act of evil and crime that has ever happened in the world turned out to be the greatest thing that could ever possibly happen. Jesus being crucified, they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Just like Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Sure, you threw me in prison, you rejected me, you banished me, you wanted me to die. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for what? For good. Does that encourage you? That's what we celebrate. This is, what, this is the very last thing uh, I wanted to read. This is from Acts chapter 4. Check this out. This was the, the prayer of the first apostles uh, as they were being per- persecuted in the book of Acts. They were ran off. They were punished. And they gathered together and they prayed Psalm 2 together and they celebrated. And this is what their prayer was truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All the evil things that precipitated the murder of Jesus were planned by God. Why? So that salvation could be offered to the whole world. That's incredible. That's astonishing. That's easy to forget. Uh, and it only costs God everything. What what did the blessing flowing to us as Gentiles cost Jesus? It cost him everything. It cost him everything. How could you be a blessing because Jesus had to become a curse? How could you be restored and whole and reconciled because Jesus was broken, he was cut off, and he was banished? And God doesn't ever want us to forget that. That's why we have this ordinance that we celebrate every first Sunday of the month called Communion. It's called the Lord's Table, it's where we get nourishment. It's where we celebrate and we had this love feast to remember. God loves us so much, He gave us His best. He gave us His only begotten Son. He was broken so that we could be brought in. Amen? Matt, you want to come? You're going to lead us in communion? I'm going to pray as the servers come down and Matt takes over. Lord Jesus, I pray, even though we, we, we don't have a, kind of an altar time tonight or this morning where the, where the prayer team is, is going to be in the back. Lord, I pray every person as they're sitting through this time of communion and remembrance, I pray that their hearts are reflecting deeply on what they've heard and that they are all responding. Lord, may no person turn off this uh, live stream or leave this building today before examining his or her heart to see, have I responded to the truth that God's shown me? Have I responded to the gospel that's been preached to me? Have I believed the good news? Have I turned from my sin? Have I embraced Jesus as, as God sent Messiah to reconcile me to God and, and to lead me to the Father and to bring me into His kingdom and to give me a place at the table, I pray every single person for the next few moments would both examine their heart and would celebrate with gratitude, Lord, when the answer is yes, yes. You brought us, you, you drew us in loving kindness, Lord. And because of that, we are at the table because of the broken the bruised and the bloody body of Jesus Christ, can we be healed. And I pray, Lord, all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.